Hello listeners, Maddie here. As well as being the voice for this podcast, I also mod for a Twitch channel called Do It Ourselves, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about it. Do It Ourselves is a community for people living with chronic illness and disability. Each Monday, we discuss a topic such as talking to doctors, managing symptoms, or even just things that make us happy. And on Thursdays, we do chronic chillness, which is an hour of time that you can spend on health management or self-care, or even just chill while fun games go on on screen. The stream is hosted by the eminently relatable Amy Dickinson, who facilitates the discussion and brings a wealth of experience as a self-advocate and peer support worker, and the chat is very supportive and helpful, making for a really fun and welcoming environment. All are welcome, regardless of diagnostic status. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash doitourselves and visit doitourselves.card.co for more information and links to social media. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to Neighbourly. Peach House. House number four, Little Street. Little Street was a lovely place to live, and on this lovely street stood a lovely house, christened Peach House by a young girl who once lived in it. It had peach walls, fighting valiantly against the onward march of curling green moss and large windows overflowing with curtains, blurring the well-loved plant sitting in neat little pots with its gauzy haziness much like a lazy summer afternoon. The garden was usually filled with flowering plants and inoffensive bees, and the doors had a habit of swinging open, inviting its residents and visitors inside. Welcome, welcome, it always seemed to be saying, quite like a cheery friend who longs for company. Welcome, come in, how do you do? The people living in Peach House woke up every morning, and they loved each other, and they loved their house, and everything was fine, and it was good. So what if the girl who had named the house never truly left it? So what if, occasionally, one of the two inhabitants woke up with a start, trapped in a candy house, infused with her tears, slowly being cooked for supper? For now, she and her wife loved each other, and they filled Peach House with love, and Peach House loved them back because it was theirs. But houses are not built to love, and if they are, they do not love in a way that people can understand. And that is where the problem arose. Roshni had grown up in Peach House, knew its sickly sweet cobweb corners too well, knew its creaking floors and slamming doors to the marrow of her. And Peach House, marinated in her love and dread, knew her and was reluctant to let her go. She had run away from it, replacing her war story with a love story, but Peach House was patient. And once its inhabitants died off, dragged her back to its heart. That's the thing the house did best. Welcome you inside it, and lock the doors. 
smells like strawberries, Kathy had exclaimed when they first moved in. But Rose was quiet, her dark eyes staring at the bird from her childhood sitting in the window. It couldn't be the same bird, but she couldn't shake off the knowledge that it was. It had returned to continue its vigil. Or it was she who had returned. Her uneasiness was mostly relegated to the background as they moved boxes and Kathy picked her up and spun her around laughing giddy with the idea of the future. They would have friends over and sit at the nearby beach and be happy because they loved each other and they were here. This was exactly what they wanted for the rest of their lives. But that night Row lay awake in bed, waiting for the house to do something, anything. Surely it had to. There was no way the haunting she remembered so clearly from her childhood was imagined. Was it? Had it all been a series of bad dreams? You can have a garden out back, Kathy said. I'm nervous, Ro replied, threading her fingers through her wife's wavy short hair. Kathy's smooth, golden-brown skin had richened from the day of moving things in the sun. Of the garden? Darling, I'm sure- No, Ro interrupted. In this house. I know how it is. It isn't nice. Do you want to move? Asked Kathy seriously. She knew parts of what had happened in Peach House, but Ro had never been able to tell anyone the full story. Speaking about the house was inviting it to come and live in their present, and she had carefully put a lid on the past. Before they moved in, Kathy had asked her time and time again if she was sure, but Ro was determined to make this work, despite her wife's worries. No, said Ro. Just have to get used to this. That was the thing about her. She was extremely brave, but her bravery took the form of tolerance, endurance. If she could show the world she was unaffected by what it threw at her, if she could take it and move on, well then she figured she had won. The first week, Peach House was kind, smelling like strawberries and never tripping its newest inhabitants up. Weeds bloomed in the garden, birds sang in the morning, and the wind blowing through their open windows was refreshing. Then Kathy had to leave for three days, and at last, Peach House had row. The first night was quiet, eerily so. Everything in the vicinity was holding its breath, waiting. Something was coming, and it would be grand, because all things on Little Street liked to show. The stage had been meticulously set, and the performers were in place. Ro was asleep and didn't notice her audience's hungry eyes. She was asleep and was then awakened by footsteps, up the stairs at first, loud and heavy. One by one, the steps climbed the stairs even and measured, getting closer every moment. She knew the steps, she could recognize them, but she didn't dare move. They're not real, she told herself, and shut her eyes tight, pretending to sleep. If the house thought she was sleeping, maybe it would move on. If the house thought she was sleeping, maybe it would leave her alone. A lump rose in her chest as fear gripped her throat, and she tried not to cry, tried not to choke, and all the while the steps grew closer and closer, always approaching, now on the landing, now in front of the guest room, steady and loud. She held her breath. Move on, she thought. Please don't stop. But the footsteps stopped right outside her door. 
The door moved like something was leaning against it. It strained against the lock, but the lock held. The thing outside the door, because surely there was something, didn't try the handle but waited, hungry, outside. And inside, Roley awake and caught in abject terror. This was proof. The house had her in its claws, and this time it wasn't going to let her leave. She was trapped, alone and afraid. The next morning, the sun was bright, and the house looked normal as she crept down the stairs. It was clean, with dusted countertops and everything in place, even though she knew she had left a plate in the sink. She was sure of it. She remembered thinking she would wash it with her breakfast things, but the plate was washed and dried, kept inconspicuously in its place. Like it was waiting for her. Like an apology. This was the house. It had her caught in its web and was trying to sweeten the pot, but she wouldn't be seduced. She tore through the kitchen, unlocking the back door that led to her garden, and it was full of butterflies. She dropped to her knees at the sight in tears because she knew how this went. She would never see her wife again. The house had spirited her away to another dimension, where they too were the only ones to exist. The dimension of strict, changing rules of constant visibility, Kathy would return to an empty house and a missing wife, and neighbours would say what an awful shame it was. But no one would know what happened. She was still there, but trapped. She wouldn't be able to leave. She would have to remain in this coffin, slowly rotting away, subject to the whims of the house. Once upon a time, she would have accepted this was what love was. That the house didn't know how to love and was doing its best, even though its best was really quite bad. But she knew what love was now. The house loved control, but this realisation, this truth, didn't make the reality she was now in any easier to bear. It didn't give her any keys. It just made her feel that much worse. She was stuck, with no escape. That wasn't going to change. That night, she didn't know what terrors the house would bring, and so she stayed awake, and waited by her locked bedroom door sitting on the floor. Waited for the house to start. One brown, trembling hand on the lock. Waited for it to click open. But the house seemed content enough with her tears. It seemed content enough to let her wait. Happy, almost. But she was staying with it in this familiarity. She awoke to the doorbell going off, startling her with a loud sound. Someone at the door. The house had brought in something else to hurt her. She had to open the door to whatever it was, whatever new horror awaited her. She was the only person left in this world. No one would be able to find her. So she opened the door, and there stood Kathy. A day early, with her short, dark hair row cut herself, her deep, bronze, steady face, and her smart, fitted suit, holding a paper bag from the bakery down the street. Hey there, darling. I thought I'd get you breakfast, she said, as Rose threw herself into her arms. Kathy was home. Kathy was here, holding her, existing beside her, an escape hatch had opened right into the world. It was like the first time she had stumbled upon a lovely butch lesbian who would later become a dear friend, just the sight of them expanding Rose's world a little, widening the gaps between the lines, making enough space to breathe. A lightning rod. Oh, she had thought, you can exist. And then, I'm allowed to exist. She wasn't trapped, alone in this maze of a house. She had spun a golden thread and followed it out, escaping time and time again. 
stepped out from bear traps in quicksand and choking mist. She could do this. She had done it before. You okay? asked Kathy, and Rowe nodded as the tale came tumbling from her lips, how the house was haunting her. Kathy listened, and then wrinkled her nose in a way she knew would make her wife laugh before saying, A bit desperate, isn't it? To wait for me to be gone before trying to make a move on you? <laughs> and then they were laughing, because while Roe was a web weaver, a storyteller, Kathy was a spellbreaker. She could look into the heart of the matter and didn't entertain nonsense like hauntings or lies. That night, she lay awake in bed, waiting. The house was angry, she could tell by its stillness, waiting to pounce, a tiger in the tall grass, deep breaths, the ticking of the clock, the watchful eyes of the street. The rattling started small. Spoons, forks, plates rattling in the drawers before a cabinet door slammed shut loud enough to let her know the house is awake and on the move. She rushed out of bed, down the never-ending stairs straight to the kitchen with a scream. What do you want? She shouted at the house. Leave me alone. The house, like always, was quiet. And then, in response, precipitation on the walls. It was weeping returning her lost tears. For a moment, Rowe was quiet, caught between the shock that she could hurt the house and despair that she had made her home cry. It was hers, after all. She didn't have another home. This was the place she had grown up in, running about the little garden, sitting on the porch reading, labelling the turmeric in the spice cabinet, which was now spilt all over the floor like a message. Maybe the haunting wasn't so bad. Maybe she could live with it. She had lived through other situations before. This wouldn't be so difficult. She could do it. But Kathy came down the stairs hearing her wife screaming at 4.30 in the morning and Roe was resolute once again. She didn't need to live through this and put up with the house. The house needed to stop. And Kathy, with her spellbreaker voice, took Roe's hand in hers, lifted an eyebrow and said, That's all you got? And the spell was broken. The droplets on the walls evaporated just as quickly as they'd appeared. The house was not dead, and it would haunt them in the way the houses we grew up in always haunt us, with rattling doorknobs, creaky floors, and the sound of unexpected cars. But they knew it had no power over them any longer. They wouldn't stand for nonsense, and the house knew it too. So whenever messages appeared and fogged up bathroom mirrors and spilt salt, Roe wiped them away without reading them. Of course, the peace won't last for long. This is Little Street, after all. And Little Street is first and foremost hungry for more. With wide open, wanting eyes reveling in the stories of its inhabitants. Peace and happiness makes for a dreadfully boring, passive story. And it isn't true to life at all. But rest assured, when trouble comes knocking, well... We will open that door when we get to it. Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Today's house was written by A. Gabrielle and edited by Matthew O.K. Smith, with music by Alex Schwartz and art by Cloudy Apple Art. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. 
Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend, because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend, and who knows? Eventually, God might finally listen to us. Today's monthly newsletter is from the Tea Time Scones and Jam Society. The stationery is very nice, but it appears to have gotten rather messy and stained with red. The body of the message reads simply, SOON! If you're a society member, you know what to do. Thanks for listening.